helping people be comfortable in their own skin, whether conservative or liberal, is what I want to do. And liberal therapists tend to say, no, you can't. You don't have the right because you're conservative. You don't get to have that position. Ethically, you're not even supposed to be in this position and we'll do whatever we can to get you to shut up and leave. It's so exhausting to have to fight that battle as a therapist every single day. And that's, again, the main purpose of our group is to continue to support these therapists so they don't give up. Because if they do, then what? We have 80 million people that voted for Trump. That's 80 million people who are conservative. So are we telling them that too bad all the therapists that could have supported you and never shamed you decided to quit because the left side said you guys are not ethical enough? I can't be okay with that. I can't be okay with just giving up on 80 million people. You must be some kind of therapist. I am some kind of therapist, and I'm about to take you on a journey through the inner wilderness. I've invited brilliant guests from all walks of life to join me as we investigate, illuminate, and inspire transformation in ourselves, intimate relationships, and the social ecosystems we are constellated in. What you are about to hear may surprise you, so hang on to your earbuds for a hefty dose of sanity in a chaotic world. I am Stephanie Wynn, a licensed marriage and family therapist, branching out and building bridges between psychology and everything else under the sun. It's my honor to have you along for the ride. Let's get started. Today I'm here with Soad Tabrizi. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist in California, specializing in addiction. She is also an admin for the Facebook group, Conservative Therapists and Social Workers. We've been connecting on the internet for a while, so I'm glad to finally be meeting face-to-face and seeing what we have to talk about today. Welcome, Soad. Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So before we got started, You were saying that there's this mama bear in you that feels protective of the members of your Facebook group. Um, You say that there's been a lot of hatred uh, projected onto conservative therapists lately, and that's that's something we've certainly talked about on this podcast. Um, As any of my regular listeners will know, I I don't call myself liberal or conservative. I'm pretty politically homeless or moderate these days, but I'm noticing that I have a much easier time talking to people who are conservative because, frankly, I find them friendlier and more open-minded and uh, just reasonable um, when it comes to expressing differences of opinion over complex and fraught issues. I think over time, as a therapist, I've become a little more conservative myself because doing this work in therapy, ultimately our our responsibility as therapists is to help the individual in front of us make their life better, right? And you can't do that through blame. You can't do that through um, picking apart society. And so I, I've talked about you know, how something might not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. If someone comes and dumps garbage on your lawn, uh, it's not your fault that some jerk did that, but it is still your lawn to clean up. And I think therapy is like that, right? Whoever did whatever to you, sure, that's their fault, but it's your responsibility if you're here in my office and you want to get better. So I think that therapy itself, the process of trying to help an individual take responsibility for their lives, is inherently a little bit conservative in that way. At the same time, it's it's liberal in the sense that therapists tend to be compassionate, open-minded, and those are virtues we traditionally associate with liberalism. 
But these days, again, here I find myself in the situation where I notice that it's it's just easier to talk to more conservative-minded people, and they're actually quite open. Before we started recording, for example, so Ad and I were talking about psychedelics, and she was expressing being very interested and open in hearing how how those have been uh, beneficial for some people. So I just wanted to kind of open with that, so Ad, and, and, and let that mama bear in you talk about what you've been seeing in the climate of therapists these days. Oh my gosh, thank you. Because this, this, like even hearing you talk about that mama bear inside of me just makes me almost want to tear up because it, I have felt like I need to protect this group that we've created on Facebook. It's, it's a group of about 700 of us conservative therapists and social workers, just anybody who works really in the mental health field. And we, we decided that um, we needed a place where people can come to for refuge because they were getting so viciously attacked in the other therapist groups on Facebook. And I was actually one of the ones that was also saved by another member in the group prior to me becoming an admin of this group. And the way that I was saved was somebody at some group said something about, um, there is absolutely no way you can be a Trump supporter and be a therapist. There's, and, and I will tell you why, and I will list the facts and the reasons why it's impossible and it's ethically wrong and morally incorrect for you to vote for Trump and be a therapist. So I read the whole thing because um, I was a Trump supporter. I voted for him twice. And I really wanted to understand from their point of view why they hated me. And basically it was because that I was a racist and I was a woman hater and that I was a um, bigot um, and that I was a xenophobe and that and and the reasons why was because this is what Trump said. So if you support him, then you're also this. And I'm looking at myself going, I'm a Middle Eastern. I live in California. I'm a female. I have plenty of gay friends. None of this fits me. But yes, I still supported Trump in the elections. <clears throat> so I vocalized that and I said, thank you for calling me all these horrible names. I am someone who supported him. Um, you have literally just made me feel like crap because of all the things that you just said. Luckily, it doesn't affect my ability to move on and continue as a therapist, but you have to be careful in all these things you guys say about us because they're just untrue. They're not correct. And because I put myself out there in that way, then I got even more attacked. And I remember that feeling of being so attacked that I was like, God, if, if I was someone who is afraid of confrontation, if I was someone who tends to be more shy um, and more anxious and more timid, I couldn't imagine coming out of this on the other side whole and complete. Thank God I'm not those things. I, I'm not afraid of confrontation. I am definitely not shy. I'm very vocal about my opinions. So it didn't affect me, but I just knew right then. I was like, I see why so many people have not spoken up. This is an attack like no other. Um, and so someone came to my rescue and said, hey, there's a group for you. Come on over. It had just started out. I think it was just three months. And my interaction with them was great. And then immediately I was asked, hey, could you come on and be an admin with us? Sure. And ever since I took on that admin role, I took it as, as me protecting this group, as me protecting the people in this group. Because once we leave that group and we're in the outside world, with the progressive therapists, we are so susceptible to hurt and pain and destruction by them. They have tried so many times to get into our group, and they have. They've been succeeding. 
um, where they pretend they're conservatives and have all the conservative talk, take names down, and then go and call our boards, call our employers, and get us fired. We have a handful of people who are in litigation right now because of this. We have had a handful of people get fired from their jobs because of this. That's why our group is very secret and shut down. I have to personally invite you to the group um, because they're, they're just vicious. They want us out of the arena completely. It's sad. It's unbelievable to me that they would do that. I, I knew it was bad. I'm, I, I don't, I, I'm maybe a little surprised even to hear this. I, I was in the, the, the Facebook group. I don't mind naming it. Therapists in private practice, the mm-hmm. largest that I'm aware of, the largest yes. Facebook group for therapists in the, in the United States largely uh, people based in California who, by the way, often noticed, wrote as if everyone in the world is in California. <laughs> yes. Oh my I gosh, yes. I'm like, do you think, like, this is a nationwide group. Yeah, the, the largest Facebook group for therapists in the country, and it was so toxic. And I witnessed this bullying and dogpiling and vitriol. And unlike you, I didn't end up in that Facebook group that you're in, I ended up just not spending any more time on Facebook at that point, And that's when I joined Twitter. <laughs> um, but I understand the feeling of, of feeling like there's like a persecution going on and, yes. and that rescuer impulse and those feelings of victimization. And the dynamics that you describe, I mean, from sort of a classic cognitive behavioral therapy lens, we can already spot several thought distortions, the black and white thinking, labeling, overgeneralization, jumping to conclusions, putting people in categories in this very tribal way that if you vote for candidate X, that means that you endorse every single thing they say and that you have our narrative and our way of interpreting the things that they say and the things that they mean by that. Rather than understanding the nuance of the situation, which is I think the average person feels like most political candidates don't really speak for them, but that you're kind of choosing between the lesser of evils because of the things that matter the most to you and you have to make values-based decisions. It really frightens me that there are so many people who are in a position of caring for mental health of others who would be so quick to encourage this sort of distorted behavior, jumping to conclusions. And I wonder about the implications for relationships. You and I are both LMFTs. We're licensed marriage and family therapists. We're trained to think in terms of systems and relationships. And we understand the importance of relationships for mental health, that they are both the number one and number two biggest determiners of lifespan, for example. I don't know if you know Mm -hmm. what I'm talking about with that study that looked at all these different factors that influenced a person's longevity. And they found that the top two factors are both about relationships. So one was, do you have a few people, even one person you could call on in the middle of the night or if your life depended on it? Do you have that 3 a.m. friend? And then the other being, do you chat with the barista? Do you smile at the grocery clerk? Do you feel like you belong to a community of people around you where you have everyday simple small talk interactions that feel kind of pleasant? Because those things actually increase your lifespan. That's how important relationships are. So given that our responsibility is to the individual, the family, or the couple in front of us, and that we know that whether we're working with an individual or multiple people, that the the health of our clients' relationships are paramount to their overall well-being, shouldn't we be interested in what's going to help people 
resolve conflict and misunderstandings in their web of relations, whether it's family or coworkers, if there are political differences, then wouldn't you want to help your clients better understand those who think differently? And I remember this even when I was liberal, when I was voting Democrat, and I had clients who were like-minded politically, and they would talk to me about conflict in their families with the Trump supporters in their families or people who voted differently on certain issues. And I remember thinking, I, I really hope that I can find a way of helping this person see their loved one in a more gentle light, you know, unless, unless there's indicators that this is a really abusive and toxic person, that my client would truly be better off having no contact. I think there there's a very small minority of relationships that are really like that, you know, but the majority of the time people are good but flawed and and I would have the desire to help people at least understand where their loved ones are coming from, find some values and common ground. And I found the work of Jonathan Haidt, Moral Foundations Theory, really helpful for that. Yeah. So it makes me wonder what all is going on in therapy um, with therapists who don't feel like they have a responsibility to understand people who think differently from them and, and who think differently from their clients. What's amazing is therapists who are on the other side of the spectrum from me, they, they basically have said that if they have clients who come in and discuss right-wing ideologies, they, they admit that they are in a position where they can then try to influence these clients so that they can then change them and to have more progressive and left-leaning ideologies, which goes against everything that we have been taught. It's We have absolutely been taught to just listen and meet them where they're at and ask them what they want changed in their life, if anything at all. What is it that their agenda is for their life, not what our agenda is for their life? So it's, it's just... It blows my mind that they are so proud. And that's that's the word I swear I can use comfortably is that they are proud of the fact that they're going to get a conservative person, client in their room and they get to change them. They get to influence them so that they can be someone who is more progressive. And this is why it has caused so many conservatives to stop seeking treatment. And that broke my heart. I have run into so many people saying, I will not go to a therapist because I will not stand, I will not lose, or excuse me, I will not chance the fact that I could have a left-leaning therapist with me because I, I don't want to hear about how I should be. I don't want to hear about um, how I should accept certain things. I don't want to hear about any of that. I don't want to be judged. I don't want to be shamed. And that absolutely breaks my heart. Again, that mama bear comes up inside of me. We had one of our members uh, create a website. It's called conservativetherapist.com for that reason, because so many conservatives were not seeking treatment. And so she said, okay, well, then let's just have a website where it shows like we are all conservatives here. You can find just a conservative therapist. And it's helped. And I've even gone further and I have put my beliefs, my values, my understanding of woke culture, and I've just put it on my website. It got to a point where I literally am at a place where I'm saying, if they're going to come at me and they're going to try to take my license away, which, by the way, is very difficult to do because a client actually has to 
call the board and say I've been harmed in some way for an LMFT at least to get their license removed. And even then it's probation and some kind of punishment before it's actually taken away from you. But these therapists believe that they, they just call the board, then we can get your license taken away. That's not necessarily true. But I'm at the place where I'm like, even if you did that, take it. It's not worth it to me to not fight for these conservative clients and at least put myself out there so they know that they can come to me, that they can find me. You take my license away, I'll turn myself into a counselor. No big deal. I don't have to be licensed. I can still help. I still have my education. I still have my years of experience. I can still have a private practice. I just won't be licensed anymore. No big deal. I am not. That license is not my identity. But helping people be comfortable in their own skin, whether conservative or liberal, is what I want to do. And liberal therapists tend to say, no, you can't. You don't have the right because you're conservative. You don't get to have that position. Ethically, you're not even supposed to be in this position. And we'll do whatever we can to get you to shut up and leave. It's so exhausting to have to fight that battle as a therapist every single day. And that's, again, the main purpose of our group is to continue to support these therapists so they don't give up. Because if they do, then what? We have, we have 80 million people that voted for Trump. That's 80 million people who are conservative. So are we telling them that too bad all the therapists that could have supported you and never shamed you decided to quit because the left side said you guys are not ethical enough? I can't. I can't be okay with that. I can't be okay with just giving up on 80 million people because I'm sure at least 6 million of them want some kind of therapy or treatment. And there's only obviously so much of us that can go around to 6 million people. So I, I try so hard to continue to encourage this group and say, hey, we need you. Stay fighting. If you can, if you have the courage, be vocal about your beliefs so they can find you. Because that's what the biggest fear is, is they don't want to find a therapist and then find out they're getting shamed or indoctrinated in some way. So let's just be vocal about it a little bit. I, I try to help them find wording on how to put it on their website so they're not really coming out as conservative, but the wording kind of shows like, hey, you know, I'm open to both sides. I'm comfortable to both sides. I'm not just a woke therapist. I'm also someone who understands traditional values. I'm here for that. Um, we have meetings once a month, actually, that I run to just kind of talk about business, talk about how their struggles are, if they're feeling lonely, just to share. Um, we're all over the nation. It's amazing. We come together and just support one another because of it. It's, it's a lonely field when you are a conservative, that's for sure. A conservative therapist, I should say. It's very lonely. Um, so I try to do my best to help them feel welcomed and wanted. But you're absolutely right. Sorry, Stephanie, back to your point that we are, we, we are a field of relationships. Like our goal is to help people survive with the world, with the people in the world, with humanity. That is our goal. I, again, I, it blows my mind that there are therapists that are standing against that, who are saying, no, you have the right to look at a certain sector of people and say, shame on you and have nothing to do with them. I, I can't understand how that works in their head. We, we literally try so hard to look at them and go, you know what, you may not agree, but how can you survive and live with them even though you don't agree? How can you work with them even though you don't see eye to eye? 
What is it that you can maybe do to make the environment a little bit easier for the both of you? I mean, that's, that's what we're taught to teach. But instead, the other side is saying, they're saying, no, shame on you. Hate them. Don't like them. They're horrible. They need to be shamed to the point of them changing their values and beliefs. I can't understand how that's okay to them. It makes zero sense to me. How are you sleeping? Sleep is a foundation of mental and physical health, equally important to nutrition and exercise, yet it's often the first thing to go during times of stress. Good sleep can help alleviate depression and anxiety symptoms, maintain a healthy weight and metabolism, protect your heart, and even reduce the risk of Alzheimer's. Yet still, a third of Americans struggle with sleep, and temperature is one of the main reasons. Before I got an eight sleep, I was already an expert in sleep hygiene and practiced what I preached to my clients. But I would still wake up overheated in the middle of the night and unable to fall back asleep for one or two hours. Adjusting the air temperature and blankets was not enough. The mattress itself was keeping me hot. But now I'm sleeping soundly through the night and waking up refreshed thanks to my Eight Sleep Pod Pro cover. The Pod Pro cover by Eight Sleep is the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. It pairs dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking. The cover can adjust the temperature on each side of the bed individually for you and your partner based on your sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature, reacting intelligently to create the optimal sleeping environment. If you'd like to be more patient with your children, more emotionally stable with your partner, a fitter athlete, or more efficient at work, take it from me, a mental health professional. Improving your sleep is one of the best investments you can possibly make in your overall well-being and the lives of everyone you touch. Go to 8sleep.com to check out the pod and use the code SOMETHERAPIST at checkout to start sleeping cool this summer with up to $200 off your purchase. Even if they're already running another sale, this code will get you an additional $50 off. And yes, to my listeners around the world, 8sleep currently ships not only within the USA, but also to Canada, the UK, select countries in the EU, and Australia. All right, now back to the show. There are major competency issues here. When I was in grad school, which I graduated from, you know, just 10 years ago, like not that long ago in the grand Mm -hmm. scheme of things. And I went to a a very progressive school. I went to California Institute of Integral Studies in San Francisco. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. But, you know, even then, like the understanding was that if, if you are in this role of a therapist, sure, define your scope of practice. If you specialize in this and you don't specialize in that, know when it's time to refer out. Absolutely. But in general, you should be comfortable working with a pretty broad range of the population. And if there are cultural issues or values-based issues that are getting in your way of working with a certain type of person, that is a counter-transference issue on your part that you need to talk to a supervisor about um, or work out in therapy. And so that that presents a major competence issue that, that there are so many therapists who um, have what you and I would see are counter-transference issues interfering with their ability to work, um, but that they actually take pride in and they don't feel a responsibility to improve those areas of weakness. I also want to say I think it's interesting that it's coming from you as, like you said, a Middle Eastern woman, because I think that this is one of those things that um, people on the progressive side so often fail to see because they like to take pride in their idea that they are so culturally competent, that they work with 
so-called diversity. And yet there seems like a real failure to understand that there are a lot of immigrants and descendants of immigrants in the United States that come from cultures that are actually a lot more conservative than the American culture. And so I wonder for you, does your Middle Eastern background play a role in your politics or is that something you've come to of your own? So it's interesting that you say that because like, for instance, when I, if I talk to my mom who actually used to be a proud Democrat, proud, um, voted for Obama twice, loved John Kerry. Like she just was a proud Democrat. And then when I sat with her and I was like, hey, you know, I, and I've always just kind of ignored it because we've all just, okay, you're a Democrat. I get it. That's how you vote. Fine. I can, I can, I can live with that. It's your opinion. But since we've been so polarized, I finally had to sit with my mom and go, I have to sit with you and help you understand what your party actually is saying is okay. And when I sat there and I said, they're saying it's okay that as an infant, when you're born, you should not be assigned a sex. And she kind of just looked at me with like her Persian eyes, like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like she just had no idea what I was trying to tell her. I'm like, and, and that's because of our culture, you, that's unheard of. And then I said, yeah, so, and then on top of that mother, they're also saying that if you're 12 and you really feel like you're, you were born a girl, but you feel like you're a boy, you can start taking puberty blockers. You can start taking testosterone to change the chemistry of your body. That's allowed. And she just was blown by this. She's like, this isn't, this isn't real. This, you're not telling me the truth. So then, you know, it's showing her clips and, and giving her these little sound bites. Like, hey, look. And then showing her the sound bites, but then going, let's look at the whole picture. I don't want you to see the sound bite. I want you to see with the context of it all so that I'm not just showing bits and pieces of anything. She voted for Trump the last time. She is no longer a Democrat. She cannot believe that that is what the party has become. It, it goes so against our culture in the sense that we are very family-oriented, that things like men and female have their place culturally, traditionally, their roles even. Um, in our culture, women take care of the home. It's not that they don't work, but that's their job. They take care of the home and raise the children. And th that's something that you're proud of. And the husband brings home the money and he, he's, he's the king of the household. It's very culture. It's actually a beautiful thing. Um, and, and she, again, was just like, I can't believe the society has become what it has become. Now, I've always been conservative. In my voting life, I've always happened to vote Republican. I'm, I'm not a Republican. I'm actually independent. But I've, I've just always believed in more conservative values. And I think for me, being that I actually grew up here in America, I was born in Iran, but I came here when I was about two years old. Um, and when I, we went to, I mean, the heart of liberalism, which is the Bay Area now. But the Bay Area at the time where I grew up was not Silicon Valley. The Bay Area was very different. It was a very conservative, middle America kind of town area. We were, we had orchards, we had farms, we, there was no big anything, big tech, big nothing. The only big thing we had was San Francisco. And that was like 40 minutes away for us. And that was like, oh, them over there. 
But that's about it. it was, they, we were just a country kind of village in, in the Bay Area. And it was beautiful growing up there. And it wasn't until big tech came and really just destroyed it. Silicon Valley um, came and just brought in liberalism in a way that just um, destroyed that beautiful place within 10 years. And it became unrecognizable to us. But me growing up there, I actually was brought up more conservative because of what the Bay Area used to be. And my views were always about, okay, keeping the family unit together, which is something that conservatives really love about keeping the family unit together. Um, that marriage, true marriage, is between a man and a woman. And that's something that's very sacred that you hold. Um, we weren't against gay people wanting to be together. It was just, why do we have to call it marriage? Why can't it just be the civil unity that we have or more of a uh, governmental name, if you want to give it. But the marriage that you have in church, that's between a man and a woman. And we believed in that. All of us believed in that. Financial, we just didn't understand economics. We didn't understand why were we getting taxed on everything? None of it made any sense to us. Why are we making money, but then you're taking it away constantly? Then when the homelessness started to happen more, why am I giving? I would watch my dad, who literally came from nothing. I mean, he came from nothing. This man has a sixth grade education. He picked up his family, moved to the States, had, I think he said he had, and I even saw it in his bank book, they had written bank books back then. He had $15,000 to his name that he saved up for years when he worked in Iran. And that's all we had. And he started his own business, started his own company with a, with a partner, and is well off now, doing wonderfully. And I would watch him always complain about these taxes. My God, he's working his ass off, excuse me. And he, he has to give so much of that away. It just never made sense to me. And I think because of those things, I always tend to vote more on the Republican side. Their policies made more sense. I don't agree with the politicians. A lot of the times, I don't even agree with that person that they are. But their policies, I agree with. I, I like the way that they want to keep the family unit together. I like that it's less taxes. I like less government having control over our lives. And that tended to be more on the conservative Republican side. Um, but culturally, yeah, we are definitely more conservative. So specifically for Iranians, because so many of us escaped the, the Iranian regime, it's become the Republic of Iran, that's what it became after the revolution happened. So when they escaped and they came to America, they didn't want to have anything to do with the word republic because the republic had to do with the Republic of Iran. And what they wanted to do was vote for democracy. So Democrats, they believed, were for democracy, having freedom, having rights. And so they all just generally voted for Democrats, because that's what they believed. Their ignorance in politics is really why they just naturally voted for Democrats. It wasn't until Trump came around that they had to step back and go, wait a minute, what are we actually voting for? Because things are sounding really weird right now. They're not aligning correctly. And that's when they had this cultural shift where a lot of Middle Easterns are like, no, we don't believe in this. This is crazy. This is madness over here on the left and have shifted over to more conservative views. So it was by default that they were voting Democrat and liberal. 
it was by ignorance that they were doing that really. Um, but it had nothing to do with values or, or their belief system in any which way that they were voting more liberal. But that's shifted a lot in the past few years, for sure. That's really interesting. And it's it's kind of like an example of something we all do to some extent, which is we make decisions based on limited information. They're mm-hmm. sort of like brand recognition and the stated values and sentiments of a particular thing that we tend to go with. We don't often do our research you know, you, you talk about your relationship with your mom, and I wonder if my mom's listening because she listens to a lot of episodes of my podcast. And my mom's also, you know, she's elderly. She's voted Democrat for most of her life, and we've we've had similar conversations to that. Of like, do you understand what the Democratic Party is about these days? Because right. that is, is something that has changed. Right. Um. But also speaking of, you know voting or making decisions based on limited information, um, she keeps trying to get me to pay attention to what's going on in, in Russia and Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And and my stance is that I don't have to have an opinion about everything. And I'm not going to have a strong opinion about something if I haven't done my research, because I have certainly been wrong on things before when I have um, operated based on tribalism, based on this is what the news tells me, or this is what the people I follow on social media have to say, or this is what everyone in my city around me seems to think. Let me just go with a popular opinion on what good people think. Um, that I've, I've been dead wrong before. I was, I, I know for a fact now that when I um, trusted the authorities on so-called gender-affirming care, that that was wrong and that it was necessary for me to do my own research and come to my own conclusions. And so with something as as complicated as a foreign war, I'm not going to have an opinion until I make a personal decision that I am going to do my research thoroughly and look at trusted sources. And is that something I have bandwidth to take on right now? No. So right now, I don't have an opinion on Russia and Ukraine. (laughs) Why? Because I could be wrong if I formed one hastily. Good for you. But if I were to start researching, um, my fiance wants me to make sure I say when we talk about this, if I were to have an opinion, I would start with listening to Konstantin Kissin, (laughs) which I've listened to like two hours of what he has to say on this. But um, (laughs) That's great. (laughs) So you you mentioned um, – there's so many places we could go. One of them is um, cultural and and gender roles because I think when a lot of liberal – leaning people hear about these sort of traditional gender roles that you have in your Iranian culture, which are very similar to traditional gender roles in a lot of other cultures, that it inherently feels oppressive, right? So there's a kind of a glass half empty view of that. And they think about the situations in which that doesn't work well for people. So for people who are naturally atypical for their gender, for people who are gay, for people, you know, for women who want to pursue careers. Um, There are so many situations where people of a liberal nature tend to think about the outliers and who those traditional gender roles don't work for or the situations in which they're enforced in an abusive manner. For example, the man who's like, make me a sandwich woman mm-hmm. instead of, oh, my lovely wife, thank you for a beautiful dinner, right? Um, but you spoke of those gender roles in in this sort of affectionate way. And I just want to give you an opportunity to voice that, whether that's you know informed by your Persian culture or just your own way of thinking about what what's it like for those who willingly choose those gender roles or maybe who have been handed those gender roles by tradition but feel nourished by that tradition. And thank you for asking that because it I think it's something that isn't spoken to 
or about often. And I, a lot of my view on this, yes, it was, it was heavily um, influenced by just my own upbringing. And in our culture, yes, the, the dad always goes and makes the money and the mom's home taking care of the kids. Until a mom who says, you know, I'd really like to go to work. I have, I have not seen any uncle, father, anyone around me say, no woman, you're not. You're staying home and you're going to do your duty. I've never seen it like that. I've always seen it as, okay, if you're going to do that, how is it going to work with the kids? Because in our minds, once you have children, they're your number one. They are not number two. They are not second to your work. They are not second to your career. They are always number one. And so if that's the case, you want to work, how are the children still going to be number one in your life? And you can still do your career. So it's either you work it around their schooling, you figure out maybe a few hours after school, if you have to have another auntie or someone pick them up, fine, so be it, that's okay. But the kids will never not know their mom and dad. And most times what happens is the kids would go to grandma and grandpa, which is still family. And so that was still acceptable. It was still okay. It was part of the family. They're going to be with grandma and grandpa. That's why a lot of times grandma and grandpas are either next door, literally, or they live in the house with mom and dad and the kids uh, because they are always uh, the, the, the babysitters, really. That's what, that's what their job is once they become older and they can do it. They love to do it, actually. So... For me, growing up and seeing that, that was just normal. But I never, ever thought I wasn't going to be able to have my own career. That never crossed my mind. If anything, my dad was very encouraging of that. Make sure you can take care of yourself. So was my mom. Make sure you have your own finances, that you're not dependent on a man. It's good that he's there and he can provide, but don't depend on him to provide. Like We were still raised in a way where you had independence. But at the same time, we were also very celebrated for being feminine and being female and how beautiful that is to be a female, to take care of your looks, to take care of your face, to take care of your body, to make sure you still do your hair, to make sure that you still are presentable for your man. And not because of some vanity, but just because it's a, it's a beautiful thing to do as a female. Why not throw on some lipstick for him and make him smile? Why, why not look pretty for him so that he feels proud to have you as his wife? Again, it's not to say like, oh, that has to do with misogynistic views. It's, it's, it's not that. It's I'm a female and there's this beauty about me that I like to present. And part of that is looking good. Part of that is making sure the home is kept. Part of that is making sure he's fed well. There's a joy that comes out of that. And again, that's I'm able to have that joy because I'm not restricted in any other way. If, if I was restricted, let's say if I had the joy of wanting to do all this, but I wanted to also have a career and somehow I was restricted to have a career, yes, then resentment creeps up and I start hating the household and I don't want to cook for you anymore because you're not letting me have freedom. Sure, that shows up, but that's never been the case. I've never seen that around me where a husband, boyfriend, man in their life has said, no woman, you're not going to do that. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen. I'm sure in, in some families it did, and I feel horrible for them if that's the case. But that's not often. Not in, in my family, it's huge. My God, if we go back to the Bay Area, it's, there's a huge family system that's up there for me. And none of us had that. There was never restriction 
all of us girls, if anything, I mean, if I think about it right now, all my girl cousins, my God, we all have our own careers. Some of us are on businesses. We do really well. And on top of it, have children, raise them ourselves. If it's not us, it's our grandparents. It's their grandparents, I should say. So we, we don't feel suffocated at all. And, and if anything, I love the fact that our families taught us to love our gender roles, to appreciate what those are, to embrace them instead of fighting them, and to give, them, give people the freedom to kind of explore as much as they need to, but never, ever, ever make them feel bad or ashamed for being the certain gender that they are. It's kind of like this whole, we're going to kind of sidetrack here, sorry, but kind of like this whole um, idea that, that Black people are oppressed and white people just have some kind of privilege. And that's kind of the frame that we have to look at society as, Blacks being so oppressed because of white privilege. And, and I'm 100% against that mentality. Why have that outlook? Why do I need to look at myself as oppressed because I'm a female? I've never been taught that. I've never seen the world that way. That just because I am a female, I have less than somebody else. It's never affected me in career, in life, in school, in friendships ever, because that mentality has never been taught to me. If anything, the opposite has been taught. I have all the advantages as anybody else, male or female. And, and because of that, I've always felt like everything's great. I can have anything I want. I can't look at your color and assume you have it better off than I do. I've never done that. And again, because of the way I was raised. But now we are taught that, no, you are an oppressive group. You should understand that. Well, of course, then all of a sudden my worldview changes. And if I look at things and from an oppressive lens and I see things as me less than, of course, I'm going to go into the world thinking I've got to fight for everything and I've got to make sure I have all the rights in the world because that's what you've been taught. But it's not true. What rights is it that you don't have? I, I'm still trying to figure that out. What rights even trans people feel like they don't have that I have? I don't get it. To use a bathroom? There's a bathroom. Use it. What, you want to use the girls? Why? There's still a bathroom. If you have to pee, there's still one for you. Go pee. Why does it have to be the one that's labeled for a female and you're a man and you want to use my? It just makes no sense that you think that's a right you don't have. Using the bathroom, you have the right. You absolutely have the right to use it. No one's taken that away from you. But again, this worldview is given to us that you know people don't have these rights and we're oppressed and we've got to fight for them. I just don't get that. It's not in my DNA. I haven't been taught things that way. I was always just taught we are all the same. We all have the same joys. You are a beautiful female. Let the femininity shine in you. Let people see the glory of a female. Just let that permeate through you and let people enjoy the fact that you are such a great woman and you can present so much into this world because of the fact that you're a female. That's my feeling about it. And I think that a lot of us in my culture feel that way as well. Part of what I'm getting from all this is sort of the sense that freedom is an inside job. And that you can choose to have a sense of freedom. That with something like the choice to wear makeup as a woman, it is a choice. And for you, 
And for many of the women that you know, it's a choice to be embraced because why not celebrate feminine beauty? Why not make the home beautiful? Why not cook for my loved one? Sort of the sense that this is how we make life sweeter. Mm -hmm. And nobody's enforcing this on us, but that traditions do exist for a reason. They're handed down because they work, because they create stability. And when we take away Democrat and Republican and current party issues and we look at more the conservative versus liberal approaches to life, I really like Brett Weinstein and Heather Hyings' take on this, the evolutionary perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. That both forces play an important role in human development and that when a society is um, has found systems that work for it, it's good to remain conservative for a while to keep those systems in place and keep handing down those traditions um, so that you're passing along from one generation to the next. What we've discovered works to support human flourishing in our time and our culture and place And that during times of instability or chaos, migration, environmental change, economic change, you know, wars, country zones changing, whatever, that uh, there's there are times that you need to break down old systems that aren't working or you need to adapt and change. And that's where the sort of liberal or progressive value of let's let's change. Let's see how much we can grow. Let's see which of these boundaries that we put up before are still needed and which ones are actually getting in our way of growth at this time. And so the two forces sort of work together. But I think you're talking about things that remind us of the value of tradition. And I just, I wonder as somebody who didn't have that, somebody who grew up as a cultural orphan Mm -hmm. myself, um, without a family structure, without any kind of cohesion around me, like I... I'm fascinated by what it's like to grow up embedded in a culture that um, that has traditions to pass down. And it seems really grounding and stabilizing. And right now, I think people need that. Just today, the day that we're talking, I uh, wrote a Twitter thread this morning, or actually it was a long post because I have Twitter blue. I can write long posts about <laughs> um, stability and how important it is that in the first 30 years of life is really crucial for developing stability that's going to have a big impact on how you do for the the next 30, the next 60 years after that. So the foundations of emotional stability we know have their roots in early childhood. Um, relational stability also roots in early childhood with many more formative experiences in early adulthood. Financial stability and health stability, the roots of those are in your childhood as well. What your family models for you in terms of taking care of your environment, your body, your wealth, and, and health, right? And then um, stability of identity, right? Ideally, you develop a stability of identity through having all those other experiences and integrating a cohesive narrative about yourself in which your sense of self and your experiences and the feedback you're getting from other people are all congruent and give you a stability of identity. Now, I didn't say rigidity. I didn't say identity foreclosure. I said stability. And after around the age of 30, instability is a lot less cute the consequences are a lot more steep and compounding, and it's not as well tolerated by employers, people you date, anything like that. So part of my concern right now is this lack of stability that the culture is inflicting upon its youth, people who don't know how to value stability, people who don't know the consequences of having unstable, 
health or finances or relationships when you are on your own and you don't have a family to take care of you and you don't have a society in which there are a lot of stable, hardworking people to fill in the gaps to provide those services, um, the consequences become so much more steep later in life. So with so-called gender-affirming care, for instance, is one of those things that is tremendously destabilizing. It destabilizes your sense of identity, your relationships, your role, and your your biology at a time that people have no idea what kind of consequences they're signing up for, what it's going to be like to live with a chronic pain and disability after the age of 30, when it's not cute anymore, when you're on your own. So I think people need stability now so much more than ever. Yes, this is a time of chaos. Yes, that sort of progressive mentality of things are in flux, how do we adapt is important, but it also feels like a time that we need to recognize the value of what works and and revitalize and resuscitate those things. Again, as I mentioned earlier, Brett, I always forget if it's Brett Weinstein or Weinstein and Heather Hying. Yeah, but they're they're sort of, um, you know, they also teach the idea of Chesterton's fence, right? The idea that um, if you don't know the purpose that something serves, then you should be very hesitant to do away with it until you understand why it exists in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it seems like there's been this kind of cavalier attitude in the culture that we can just do away with old systems because we're, we're positive they don't serve us anymore, that they don't have any valuable function. And it's like, well, wait until you see the consequences of that. You might actually find that those structures that you thought were so oppressive, that you thought needed to be done away with, were actually upholding something really fundamental. And that without that, we have a whole new set of problems. But you're right about the stability. You're absolutely right about that because the whole gender-affirming care ideology is basically telling us that if your family system doesn't adhere or support or affirm this whole new gender role you want to have, then let's do away with your family. And talk about instability right there. You have basically just said, we're going to pull you away from any kind of stability, and we're going to put you in a government system with no stability whatsoever, because it changes all the time with all kinds of politicians back and forth, all kinds of systems and agencies going to be now taking care of this child. And we're going to pull them away and throw them in instability and somehow believe that these poor children are going to survive in society now. And and I know this is where my tinfoil hat is going to come in. So excuse the little conspiracy theory kind of ideas that I have about this. But I think it has a lot to do with the the push of making sure that children are no longer parents' children anymore, that now they're going to be the system's children. And, and the reason why there's such this push is because they're easily, more easily controlled and manipulated if they are the government's children. And if we keep them away from the parents, then we can somehow then mold them to create them into who we want them to be. It, the whole mass psychosis idea that has been press, uh, shown to us through the whole COVID situation as well. If we can somehow get them in the psychosis, then we can manipulate and control them. And I think that that's the whole reason why they're trying to push and pull away every child that has this idea that they're another gender from the stability of a family so that then the government can control them and take care of them. It's 
we are setting ourselves up for destruction in this society if we continue down this path. The family system is so, it has more power than we're willing to see. And I don't mean power in the sense of that it has control, but it has such this great influence in a beautiful way on us and we're doing away with it and it's going to damage the society in such a horrible way. It, we're already seeing that happen. I, again, I really love the fact that you understand that stability has such a big part to do with the upbringing of these kids and our society. Without it, it's just chaos. And, and if there's chaos, then who's going to come to the rescue? Well, our government's going to come to the rescue. They're going to look like the heroes. And we're going to look to them to take care of us. Because we were told, stay away from your family. They're not the ones that are going to help you. But we are. And, and that's how they get the votes. And that's how they stay in power. And that's how they stay in control. And they, that's how they continue to manipulate, manipulate us. It's, it's disaster right here. I can see it and I can taste it. But I am so grateful. And I'm, I am still hopeful that more of us are rising up and saying no you're not gonna take the family system away. You're not gonna take our children away from the family anymore. We know better than you do. We are not gonna to continue to vote for people who are going to support this agenda. This, this is not gonna happen. And I, and I love seeing that. I love seeing mom and dads rise up. More dads now too, which is really, really heartwarming for me to see more dads say, hey, what is going on with my kids? What's happening here? We're not doing this anymore. Um, because this whole gender affirming thing, and I and I know you and I share this, is is not healthy. It's it's disastrous. It doesn't make any sense. It's not even built on any type of research or fact or anything. You can't. We just started it, so we have really no proof of it working in any which way. And if anything, it, again, it goes against what we've been taught. We have been taught one of the main things I've been taught as a licensed therapist is to confront, is to challenge. If a person comes to you in, in session and says, I'm, I'm wondering this, we're almost encouraged to play the devil's advocate and say, okay, well, if you're wondering it, let me play the other side for you. Let me make sure that your values are built on solid foundation. Let me make sure that you know what your values are. Not instead say, whoa, you're, you're confused. I'm going to like affirm your confusion. I'm going to believe in your confusion with you. What? No, we never say that. We sit there and we say, you're confused. Let's figure it out together. Let's work on this so that you're not confused anymore. Let's figure out what that solution is. What is your value system based on? Let's spend some time there. Let's find some stability in you, a good solid foundation in you so that you're not confused anymore. I'm not going to sit there and affirm your confusion. That, that, how is that helpful? How is that healthy for anyone to just sit there? You know what? Stay in that confusion. That's a good place to be. In. You're right. Huh? No, it's not. And I hope to God we do away from this gender affirming care soon. It sounds like that is the road we're going on, except for California, of course, because now we're going to make it child abuse if a parent doesn't affirm, which is silly to me. Sad and silly. Welcome to California. As a therapist, I've gotten an up-close and personal view at what people tend to struggle with day in and day out. Turns out, it's almost universal that we know we should be taking better care of ourselves in terms of the basic building blocks of well-being like diet and exercise. 
But as valuable as it is for our mental and physical health to change our lifestyle habits, it's also much easier said than done. People often set goals that are too lofty, only to feel even worse about themselves when their aspirations inevitably fail. That's why I recommend starting with positive changes that are as simple as possible. Enter my new favorite beverage line. Organifi makes it so easy to improve your nutrition and start feeling better right now with refreshing plant-based blends of superfoods and adaptogens that you can just mix with water. My personal favorite is their green juice. It contains moringa, ashwagandha, chlorella, spirulina, wheatgrass, beets, turmeric, mint, lemon, and coconut water. 100% organic with no added sugar, and it tastes great. My family loves Organifi Gold, which promotes relaxation and restful sleep, served mixed with warm almond milk before bed. Organifi also makes several other powerful blends, all organic and loaded with vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, phytonutrients, anti-inflammatory herbs, and adaptogens. For less than $3 and 3 grams of sugar per serving, you can start giving your cells the support they need to manage stress and feel good. Check out their product line at Organifi.com. That's spelled O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com. And use promo code SOMETHERAPIST to get 20% off your entire order. Your whole body will thank you. You talked about your tinfoil hat. And earlier you were talking about hate, the, the projection of hate from progressive therapists onto conservative therapists. And I just thought it was funny because if you look at the negative reviews of my podcast on Apple Podcasts, every single negative review, except one three-star review that was bizarre, um, <laughs> has the word hate in it, accuses me of hate. It's like their favorite projection, right? They're obsessed with this concept of hate and of hate speech. And there's so much projection in that. And then the other one, I do have to give this person credit for a clever title to their negative review of my podcast. Their title was, You Must Be Some Kind of Conspiracy Theorist. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> but you talk about this um, mass psychosis. And psychosis is one of those terms that, like, it has its clinical meanings, right? If you're actually, like, diagnosing in terms of the definition of hallucinations or delusions, but then there's kind of more the lay sense of psychosis that we use more commonly to mean just disconnection from reality. And that's where I think the word sanity is really kind of a balancing and centering concept that we don't use a lot. It's been on my mind lately. I saw a really clever tweet from a therapist I just started following that uh, had an X next to mental health therapist and then a check mark next to sanity specialist. And I like that reframing because I think that sanity is sort of, it's like the word sanity evokes a gut check of am I tethered to reality or not? Am I starting to lose my footing? I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. And it's funny, you use the word sanity, and I probably should use the word sanity over this one instead, because I use the word normal. Like, can we just be normal again? Can we, can we have some normalcy in our planet? Because as you know, when we sit there and we kind of um, either diagnose or trying to somehow get some kind of perception of as to where our client client's baseline is, just to, so that we kind of know, okay, if their baseline is here, and they're be beyond their baseline or above their baseline, then they're probably, you know, a little anxious, not feeling themselves, or maybe they're below, they're feeling a little depressed today or, 
or where where is just that baseline for them? And as it helps us kind of def, uh, be able to kind of see if there is a diagnosis, what that diagnosis is based on that baseline. We have lost baseline. Society has completely lost baseline. What, what is baseline anymore? Like you said, what is the sanity of anything anymore? Anything goes. You want to be an elephant tomorrow? Be an elephant tomorrow. How, does, how can a society, again, back to stability again, how can a society function with constant insanity going on all the time, every day, when you wake up not knowing what's right, what's wrong, what's true, what isn't, it's not. It's going to fall. It's going to destroy itself. It's going to crumble, and it's going to kill the people that are in it. It's not going to function. And I, I totally agree with the fact that we need to bring sanity back into the system again. We, we have to create a baseline once more. So Jordan Peterson talks about sort of the ideal as the norm and then the fringes and that there will always be outliers and fringes, but that there is a function for the whole of society in having some kind of ideal. And what you're talking about is really what what happens when we invert that. So we sort of center the margins and marginalize the center, so to speak, that it has this really destabilizing impact on all of society. And what I think is ironic is that the people who are for that, the people who want to see those types of changes they're obsessed with this concept of privilege. It goes hand in hand with the concept of oppression. But I actually think that they are in the most privileged position at all, which has nothing to do with the color of your skin or your sex or your so-called gender identity or any of that. I think the most privileged position is to come from such a stable society that you feel like you can afford to throw out what works. Mm-hmm. I think people who really don't have that appreciate and make use of what works. It depends on what's at stake and how much you have the lived experience, the felt sense of how much is at stake. Let me put it this way. When we get behind the wheel of a car, almost all of us are conservative, right? Why? Because you are operating heavy machinery. Lives are at stake. Your life, the life of your passengers, the life of the other drivers on the road. So you're going to follow the rules of the road because you don't want to die or you don't want someone else to die, right? You take responsibility for your behavior. Now, there are some drivers that live on the edge. There are people who get consumed by road rage. But at the same time, even if you are screaming at the wheel about the jerk who just cut you off, guess what you're going to do? You're going to slow down when they cut you off. Why? Because you are controlling the thing that you are responsible for controlling that's going to keep you safe. You're not just driving over the lines and onto the sidewalk and going through stoplights and having a grand old time throwing out all the rules and seeing what you can get away with because there's a real consequence to your actions. And I'm worried that that many people aren't going to feel the consequences to the destruction that they're encouraging until it's too late. Yes. I, and I agree with you completely on that. It's, it is going to be too late and, and backpedaling is so much harder and fixing up is some, once it's gone too late, we can never go back to what it was. We can try to adjust and fix 
And we can have some kind of resemblance to maybe what it was, but it will never be what it was again. We have now moved on and moved past it. So we're going to adjust and try to clean up the mistake. It's going to be hard and it's going to be painful. I think this is what a lot of conservatives back when um, they wanted to make gay marriages uh, legal, I think this was the push and the fight that they were trying to say. So if we go down this road, if we do make it legal, which we understand why you want to. We want you to have your partner. We get it. We, we don't want you to not love who you love. But if we make this a legal thing, it's going to open the door for a lot more. It's, we won't stop there. It, we will want more and more and more to the point that it's going to be what we're living today, where young children believe they are a different and opposite sex. And we are allowing them to believe that and if anything, medically aiding them to fulfill that. This was what they were afraid of. And I think that this is like your example where we've like gone too far. We can't go back. We can't take any of that back. We won't be able to make gay marriages not gay again. I don't think that that's possible. And I don't think we should do that to them anymore. It's not fair to kind of say, oh, you're allowed to. And now you're not just kidding anymore. Uh, so I think at this point, it's like we have to readjust. We have to kind of sit back and go, okay, what's gone too far? What didn't work? We allowed gay marriages, fine. Keep it just as that. What is the TQ, A, B, C, I don't know, all the other alphabets that come after it? What is all that about? Why? Why did we need all of this? Can we go just go back to LGB and be happy with that and contain that in some way, legally? What you want to do in your bedroom, in your life, I don't care. That's on you. But make it a thing where it's shoved down our throats. When it's a value that we have to push on our children, that's where we kind of have to draw the line and go, that's not fair. I don't want that value system in my house. You can have it in yours, but I don't need the rules changed so that you feel good about the decisions you make in your house. The rules never needed to be changed in order for you to do what you wanted to do. But you have made it a value that has to be everyone's. And again, that's where the fight and the battle is. I don't want to carry your values, nor should you have to carry mine. There needs to be no law that says someone's value is going to be the value of the land. That shouldn't be the case. Government, I've always felt, should always be less government, not more. They should only be involved in certain aspects of our life. They should have never entered the scene when it comes to our value systems. Never. They should have never been in control of our morals. That's something that we have allowed and we can never go back to again. And, and you are right in that, that we've, we've gone too far and it's hard to fix a lot of what we've done. Um, and more than anything, I feel horrible for our children. I think I don't have kids myself. Um, I, I made a conscious decision not to have children at a very young age. And, and maybe I, I, I just knew intuitively not to. But I feel for parents these days. I just, the struggles that they go through, I, I can't imagine. I feel for them. I try to help as much as I can. This, this is hard work. And, and if anything, my message to them is I'm just so sorry. I'm so, so, so sorry that this is even happening. 
I do have to say, I know I'm going to have some listeners getting angry at me in the comments for your stance on gay marriage. And I just want to express some healthy differentiation, right? That part of what we do on this show is I talk to people I don't agree with on every single issue. I also have a range of which issues I care about more than others. I've chosen to die on the hill of fighting gender-affirming care because of how strongly I feel about that after doing my research. Now, when it comes to things like abortion or gay marriage, like I said, I'm not really liberal or conservative at this point. These aren't my hills to die on. And I feel like if I am going to choose a stance on an issue, I really, really want to understand it in depth. When it comes to gay marriage, in general, I support it. But I also want to give people like Soad an opportunity to express her views because I think they're nuanced. I think that there is a conception among some people, um, you know, especially gays and lesbians who feel strongly about this, that anyone who opposes gay marriage is homophobic, doesn't respect gay people, or thinks that they're sinners or that they're going to hell or that gay people, this, that, or the other, right? That you kind of lump in together. And I just want to say what I think I'm hearing from you, Soad, which is that for you, it's not about disrespecting someone else's sexual orientation and who they love. For you, as I'm understanding it, the problem with gay marriage is that it's the changing of the definition of marriage, and you're concerned about the ripple effects for that in terms of destabilizing society. You you sort of use this slippery slope argument. And I just want to say I don't actually have strong feelings on this either way. And I know that's going to upset some people because I think that I have um, a lot of LGB listeners who are going to want me to sort of take a stance and and defend and argue with you. But I, I just want to say that I think that these are nuanced issues. And I'm more interested in understanding different perspectives because, again, if I'm not going to take my time to do the research and I'm not going to look at actually the sort of the sociological data on the ripple effects of something like gay marriage in terms of how, um, you know, whether that does have an impact on um, messages that children are sent that create foundations of stability. It's just not something that I've looked into deeply enough. So I just respect that that is something that you've put thought into based on the research that you've done or the values that you hold around family and and how, you know, your cultural background has influenced that. Um, that So I just felt like I wanted to say that. No problem. Go ahead. So let me just, so, so that I can clarify, my stance on this, on marriage in general is I do not believe that the government should have even had any control or say in even heterosexual marriage. I believe that they should have left it alone and left it to the individuals and left it to the churches and how, however they wanted to define their own marriages. It's when the government comes in and takes control is what I have an issue with, even with heterosexual marriage. They did that in order to have some kind of um, financial and economic gain and some kind of control over the institution. I don't like that for heterosexuals either. But once they did that and they decided like, no, we're going to make this a business now. Marriage is now going to be a business. We're going to give you a a license in order to do this, which I find ridiculous. 
We're going to have control over when you can divorce and how long that's going to be and how much money you're going to have to give us in order to, to do that divorce. Again, I find that ridiculous. So fine, you guys did that. But then we're going to come in and go, now we're going to redefine marriage altogether. It's like, okay, see, we've given you marriage. Now you're going to redefine it. And now here we are today. So my issue was just with the government on hold. Stop taking control over our decisions on what we want to do in our own personal lives. It has nothing to do with you. Stop doing that. And every time we give them more control, every time we give them a little more power, more chaos happens, more instability happens, and more people want more. I want more rights. There's more rights out there for me. There are no more rights. You had them. We're actually now limiting our rights because we've given it over to the government. We had all the rights in the world. Transgenders could have gotten married. I wouldn't have known anything about it. But now that we've given it to the government and handed that authority over to them, now everyone has to know about it. That's my issue. It should have never been a government thing. It should never be legalized for me to get married to who I want to get married to. It should have been a private factor, and government does not need to be involved in that at all. That's that's where I really stand mm. with it. Okay. That's that's interesting. See, I've never heard this perspective before. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we have to be able to have really nuanced conversations to understand different people's ways of thinking about things. And I, I see what you're saying there, right? Like, and it comes down to sort of trust and faith in institutions. And how is it that people who on the one hand are so ready to demonize their fellow therapists, for example, or demonize people who vote differently than them or whatever, like people who are so cynical about human nature on the one hand, and then so naively optimistic about the intentions of government or like big pharma, for instance. Right. And yeah, and we're going to have to end there because uh, <laughs> I want to respect our time limits. But um, thank you so much for joining me. So let's talk about where people can find you. And also, if if anyone's interested in this Facebook group, um, it sounds like they would have to reach out to you as well. Yes. So I have my website. It's very easy. Soadtobreezy.com. You can go there. You can contact me through there. Um, it's the best place to find me and to learn more about me. Um, and then if you want to join the Facebook group, you have to obviously have a Facebook. Uh, you can send me a direct message through there. You would have to be involved in mental health. So you need to be working in some kind of um, capacity in mental health. And then, and or you need to be a student of um, mental health. So psychology, getting your license as an MFT or social worker. Uh, and then just send me a DM. And then what I do is I go through your profile and make sure you're actually conservative. And then after I've confirmed, then I can add you to the group. Um, so yeah, so that's how you can find me. I'm all over Twitter. I'm all over Instagram. I'm all over Facebook and all under the handle of Soetta Breezy. And, um, Stephanie, thank you so much. I do want to make a quick plug, if I may. I have a journal that I just published that it's actually coming out July 1st, and it's about, um, developing your values and your beliefs. It's something that I've worked hard on, and it's a 30-day journal that just has prompts for you. And it's, Journaling is something that I um, assign to my clients often. And the biggest question I always got is, well, how do I write and who do I write to and what do I write about? So I decided to create this 30-day journal to kind of take you on a journey of finding out and discovering who you are. Um, and you can go to my website 
and you can subscribe. So then that way I can let you know when it comes out on July 1st. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I can tell you right now, this episode will not be published until July. So by the time you are hearing awesome. this, um, the journal will be out. So that'll be for sale on your website. Will it also be on Am- Amazon? It'll only be on Amazon and then obviously through my website. Yes. Only on Amazon. Okay. So that's yes. great because we can go ahead and add that affiliate link um, to my my website. So I have uh, at sometherapist.com slash bookshop, I have any books written by anyone I've interviewed, plus all kinds of books I recommend in general. Um, So we'll put your book in my bookshop and we'll have that Amazon affiliate link. Thank you, Stephanie. Um, Yeah, happy to support you with that. I wish wish I'd known earlier we could have talked a little bit more about the journal, but at least we squeezed in a plug for it. That sounds awesome. So um, thank you you again. Thank you so much, Stephanie. You've been wonderful. You're such a wonderful host. And you know what? I'm so glad for my guests to be able to hear, especially some words you said earlier about um, about how it is that you have decatastrophized having a voice as a therapist, your thought process around why it's important to take that risk because I get so many questions about that. And I think so many therapists just live in fear mm-hmm. of as if it would be just the worst thing in the world to face any threats to your license, that you could never come back for it, that you would not have a plan B, that your identity would be destroyed, that your livelihood would be destroyed. And so I'm so glad that you articulated that. I think it's important to find your voice. And I will also say, like, reframing some of this as competency issues, clearly the woke therapists have major competency issues Mm -hmm. when it comes to dealing with people who don't think like them. And it's okay for us to have our areas of competence and specialization. I specialize, among other things, in parents who are worried about their trans-identified kids. And I'm one of the only therapists in my state who will not call them inappropriate names and tell them how they should think and be different. Uh, I'm one of the only people who's willing to see from their perspective, and I can easily defend that position. So I just want other therapists to be able to hear that. And I'm glad to hear it coming from different voices, different perspectives, including yours. So thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Stephanie. I hope you enjoyed this episode of You Must Be Some Kind of Therapist podcast. To check out my book recommendations, articles, wellness products, guest episodes on other podcasts, consulting services, and lots more, visit sometherapist.com or follow me on Twitter or Instagram at sometherapist. If you'd like to go deeper, join my community at somekindoftherapist.locals.com. Members can dialogue with other listeners, post questions for upcoming podcast guests to respond to, or ask questions for me to respond to in exclusive members-only Q&A live streams. To learn more about the gender crisis, watch our film, No Way Back, The Reality of Gender-Affirming Care, at nowaybackfilm.com. Special thanks to my producers, Eric and Amber Beals at Different Mix, and to Joey Pecorero for our theme song, Half Awake. If you appreciate this podcast and want more people to find it, kindly take a moment to rate, review, like, comment, and share on your platforms of choice. Of course, just because I am some therapist doesn't mean I'm your therapist. This podcast is not a substitute for medical advice. If you need help, ask your doctor or browse your local therapists online. And whatever you do next, please take care of yourself. Eat well, sleep well, move your body, get outside, and tell someone you love them. You're worth it.